well, on this Mother's Day, as God would have it, we're going to talk about labor pains. You say, what do you know about labor pains? I know nothing. I know nothing, okay? But God's word does, and it does mention it today. And so I will let you see how it mentions it, and then we will proceed together. Reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Beginning in verse 1 here, the word of the Lord. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether, with, whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Let's pray once more. Father, we ask for your help again. We need your spirit to work in us, to shine the light on our selfish minds, our flesh wishes to control. The enemy wishes for us to be stumbling in these moments as we open the word of God, but help us by sending the spirit to show us Jesus. Let us be fulfilled in him. Let us be more like him. We pray in his name, amen. The title this morning is More Ready. More ready. We're in the series in First Thessalonians entitled More and More, Steadfast Toward the Day of Christ. And we've been hitting on this theme of, of building up and encouraging, getting better at the things of the Christian faith, having more faith, more hope, more love, more and more fit, ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. And that's where our text is today. Previously, concerning believers who were both dead and alive in chapter 4, we learned there is some comfort and there is encouragement there for us. That God has not forgotten about those who have fallen asleep, that is, those who have died who are believers. No, they're actually going to come out of the grave when Christ returns. They're going to be taken care of first, and then we who are left will be caught up and transformed in that instant, as the Bible teaches us. 
We are going to be preserved. Christ will fulfill his promise to gather us to himself, to uh, preserve us in the midst of the coming wrath will be taken care of when he returns. Now, as the passage says, today, concerning the times and the seasons. Times, seasons. Two words, both words for time. One denoting sequence, the other maybe an event or an era. But this may have been a a known phrase referring to the end of all things. We read the same phrase, Acts 1-7. It's something you also see in Old Testament prophecy, especially Daniel. You see times and seasons. But Acts 1-7, it says, Jesus' words, as he's about to ascend, you know, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So Paul continues in our text today. He says, because... Uh, We're talking about this issue, and I know what you know about this issue. He says, you have no need to have anyone write anything to you. So they already know what they need to know, which is that they don't know when Christ is returning. Don't lose that fact, believer. Don't lose that fact. You simply do not know. Jesus himself says, I don't even know. On his own volition, he has chosen to not know when the Father is going to send him back. He has chosen to remove that knowledge from his full knowledge of all things everywhere. He said, this is reserved for the Father alone. We do not know. So they understand, okay, we don't know when he's coming back. But Paul further instructs them here, further encourages them, and gives them the the hope that they need, that hope that is increasing and abounding, that love, that faith that is increasing and abounding. What they do know is that they ought to be ready. He goes on, you yourselves are fully aware. You're fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, I don't want to disappoint you today. Yes, we are closer to the end of all things. A whole lot closer than the Thessalonian believers. But did the Thessalonians expect Christ's return any less than we do? Of course not. Of course not. It is the normal condition of the faithful Christian to be looking to the hills for the help of the Lord. What's ironic to me is that we who believe we have more reason to look to Christ and his return the same way that he ascended, we don't even live with the anticipation that these first century Christians did. We say we have more reason to believe it, yet our lives do not reflect it like theirs did. They were intent on knowing what do we need to do right now to prepare for the coming of the Lord. And as you know, some of them went off the deep end and they said, hey, we're going to quit our jobs because he's coming soon. Do you remember that? We're going to talk about that when we get to 2 Thessalonians. We're going to talk about it again. But as I read the New Testament, I'm convinced that we are not living our lives ready for the revelation of our Redeemer King. 
So the aim today from this text is that more and more you would be ready for that day. Ready for the coming of Christ. So the question is, are you ready? Are you fully aware of his coming? Or are you ready? The emphasis of this passage, as you can tell, is the, the suddenness and unexpectedness of Christ's advent. It echoes Jesus' own words from Luke chapter 21, 34 through 36. That's Luke 21, 34. He says, that day will come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. So Paul got his teaching from Jesus about the coming of the Lord. I want to give you this as a theme for today. Clothed in Christ... Believers gladly welcome his sudden return with great anticipation. Clothed in Christ, believers gladly welcome his sudden return with great anticipation. I think the text is clearly outlining two groups of people for us today. Two groups of people... I'll call them children of the night and children of the day. Children of the night and children of the day. First off, we want to look at the children of the night. And a heads up, we're not going to walk through uh, the phrase by phrase like you're used to me doing. um, Because it's all so mixed together, it's hard to do that. We'd be going from night to day to night and you get it. Let's talk about children of the night. Their constant refrain, according to Paul here, is peace and security. They claim peace and security, then they live under the assumption that everything is going to be just fine. These are, children of the night are, the unconverted, the outsiders, as he's used that language already. Their claim may bring to mind the words of the false prophets of Jeremiah's day. You recall when they prophesied and they proclaimed and they preached peace, peace, when there is no peace. It is a relentless attempt to get people to stop thinking about the fact of impending divine judgment. Oh, don't think about that. That's not real. Everything's fine. Look at all the blessings. Look at all the peace and security. Everything is going to be okay. And so we have to ask the question, what basis do they have for claiming peace and security? And we note from the text how very quickly their supposed peace and security is a house of cards with a breath. It is demolished. I want to give you a few characteristics of children of the night. Children of the night. First off, One characteristic, they're existing in spiritual darkness. Verse 4, it's the implication, but you are not in darkness. The implication is they are. So the contrast is with those people who exist in darkness. They are spiritually stumbling around at night in the dark. You know what this is like, don't you? 
I'm getting to that age. I hate to admit it. I'm getting to that age where I have to get up and use the bathroom one time every night, at least once. All right? I just turned 38, and half of y'all are like, Psh, you got no idea what's coming, right? <laughs> and, you know, I get up, and I've got two doorways to walk through. And so when I walk to the bathroom, I, I got, I'm doing this number right here because I can't see anything, right? So I'm doing this number right here. Make sure I don't hit the door facing here or there or right at the corner of the shower or as I'm going into the water closet. You know what that's like. You're feeling for the walls. You know where your door frames are. You're worried you're going to step on something. Those are kids know what I'm talking about. You know, your kids' toys are just perpetually everywhere. God forbid it be some Legos or something. You know, you're rubbing the walls for the light switches, right? Where's that, where's that thing? Uh, yeah. This is the condition of spiritual darkness. Groping, as Paul preached in Acts, groping around in the dark, hoping to get lucky and discover something true, something of eternal value, something lasting. But even this does not describe it sufficiently. The unconverted live in darkness but have no idea. And believers, the only way, the only way we can get a taste of what this is like is to remember what it was like before we met Christ. Do you remember before you heard the gospel and repented and believed? Do you remember thinking, oh man, I, I just don't know what life is like in the light. I just live in darkness. No, did you think that? No. No. Before the Spirit regenerated you in repentance and faith, were you like, oh yeah, this darkness is, is nice? Did you think you had peace and security? Probably some measure. Well, well I'm you know, a pretty good person, right? The spiritual stuff, yeah, I mean, I'm good. Like, I, I try to love people. I try to be patient. I try to do good things. But in that state, you can remember in that state, you don't know what you don't know. Oblivious. It is darkness. So when we think about walking through the darkness, the unconverted has no idea that this is the state of their lives existing in spiritual darkness. And so he tells the believers, but you are not in darkness. So existing in spiritual darkness. Secondly, as it says in verses 2 and 3, headed for sudden, inescapable destruction. I don't want to try to fit all that on there. Headed for destruction. Headed, headed for sudden, inescapable destruction. And so he tells us it's sudden, first off, like a thief in the night. Paul gives us the illustration that he gets from Jesus I know we'd all love to have a sort of a pre-crime division in our local police department. Those of you who have seen the movie Minority Report, you know what I'm talking about. We'd love to have pre-crime division where people can stop crimes before they happen based on their sort of intuition. But we don't live in the movies. 
We live in the reality that someone could attack your home, steal your possessions, threaten your life at any given moment. And you don't know if it'll happen. You don't know when it will happen. You can lock your doors. You can bolt your windows. You can hide your kids and hide your wife. See, I try to work in culture every now and again. Okay, yeah. Some of y'all got that. You can install the best security system, and then you can scream the top of your lungs, peace and security. But nothing, nothing is fail-safe. You don't know when it's coming. One commentator, Martin, says this illustration really gets the lion's share of the attention. But he turns our attention to the second part, that is those labor pains. It's sudden, like a thief in the night, but it's also inescapable. This is where the labor pains come in. And moms, I know you got your pregnancy stories, probably stories for days Many of you have stories of false alarms when you thought it was the day. But it turns out it wasn't. I recall a few of those, those trips to the, the hospital, which weren't ultimately the day. And without drudging up too much of the trauma, you remember that when that time came, there was nothing that you could do about it. There was nothing you could do about it. Yes, yeah, sure, you may have had those thoughts, right? I can't do this. <laughs> not right now. I'm not ready. <laughs> Let's go back home. <laughs> oh, my goodness. A lot of emotions attached to those, those sounds, right? <laughs> and then someone came to you and said, you are having this baby right now. That there's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing you can do about it. There was no way out of it. It was go time. It was inescapable. Martin says, this is the emphasis here. You can't get out of this. You can't get away from this. They will not escape, Paul says in the text. They will not escape. There will be no way out, no second chance to believe, as if there hasn't already been 500,000 second chances. There's no more opportunity to repent, no way to plead your case, but, but Jesus, I just needed to do one more thing. I promised I was going to follow you. There's no such thing. Sudden, inescapable destruction. This is the state of the children of the night. Thirdly, they are lulled to spiritual sleep. Verses 6 and 7. So let us not sleep as others do. Those who sleep, sleep at night, he says. Now I want to distinguish here, chapter 4 he was using being awake and being asleep as being alive or dead. Now we're simply talking about sleep. 
But before we get to the end of this text, he's going to refer once again to those believers who are uh, alive and those believers who are dead using the metaphor of sleeping. I know that's maybe hard to follow. You'll see. But these children of the night are lulled to sleep. Children of darkness lie down at night with their heads on their pillows, thinking of all the things that bring them peace and security. They dream in the dark about more peace and more security. You know, I learned real real quick by working at night that nighttime is for sleeping. I became a zombie when I worked at night. Some of y'all know what that's like. Even when you're awake, if you're working nights, even when you're awake, it's like you're not really there. It's like there's some sort of filter that you're working in. That's what it felt like for me. Nighttime is for sleeping, simple a simple principle in creation. Yet, when you live in spiritual darkness, you're always in a state of spiritual slumber, unaware of spiritual truth, undiscerning on matters of God and eternity. We could say it this way, the songs of peace and security being sung on every street corner of our society are the lullabies of the unconverted lulled to spiritual sleep, but furthermore, fourthly, numb to spiritual truth. Also, verses 6 and 7, he says, let us keep awake and be sober. He continues, those who get drunk are drunk at night. I remember as a teenager, my parents would often say, nothing good happens after midnight. They give me my curfew. Nothing good happens after midnight. Midnight, I think as I've gotten older, I realize it's more like 8 or 9 p.m. And then as I become a parent who believes the Bible and our condition and sin, it's like, look, there is no particular time or season for our sinful flesh just to do what it wants, right? But you get the idea. You get the idea. Now, this sex is not about sleeping. It's not like, oh, don't, don't go to sleep. Sleeping's bad. It's not about alcohol even it's not about the fact that alcohol is bad but there is something to what my parents said right something to the the covering of darkness the way of the world is to neglect spiritual truth to refuse to acknowledge sinfulness to shun accountability to a holy god to reject that there is one way of salvation so in the dark they indulge They sleep to escape. They drink to escape to pretend that there are no consequences to what we do. You know, I once worked with a young professional who spent five to six hundred dollars every weekend on nightlife. Process that. At, At the time, that was more than my entire week's paycheck. And it makes you wonder why he feels the need to manufacture a good time for himself and the people around him. It's like Jesus said in Luke 21, 34, the first part of what we just read. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. 
By fixating on immediate gratification, children of the night numb themselves to spiritual truth. Children of the night are incapable of accepting that an end is coming in which they will no longer have an opportunity for salvation. So Paul contrasts these people claiming peace and security with the children of the day. So we have children of the night, and now we have children of the day. Paul begins with a statement of our identity. He says there, But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. He says, For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. I want you to notice the statement of identity. Who we are, Christians, determines what we do. Who we are determines what we do. Children of the night are going to do what children of the night do. Children of the day are going to do what children of the day do. So this is who we are. We are children of the day. We are children of the light. So what do we do? We are active in our preparation for the revelation of Jesus Christ. We are ready for that blessed day. I would, I would submit to you that we are not people, as he says right here, I think this is the main point, and I get this. We are not just people of the daytime, but we are people of the day. That day. That day when he is revealed in all his glory, the day of the coming of the Lord and we live in light of that day and it shapes all of our lives right now. So we are people of the day. Here are some instructions he gives. Notice characteristics for children of the night. Some instructions here for children of the day. First off, verse 6, keep awake. Keep awake. No, not woke. Awake. All senses attentive to what's going on, observing and taking note of the times and the seasons, feeling, experiencing, considering that any moment could be the last. Jesus' words of parable to the disciples in Mark 13 are helpful here. I want to read this real quick. Mark 13, 32. No need to go there. Mark it down. Mark 13, 32. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight. Or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Jesus helps us here. He reminds us, Paul reminds us as well, stay awake. How do you stay awake? There's a, a lot of things we could uncover here. I'll simply say, devote yourselves to the things of God, to the knowledge of his word, the gathering of the saints, encouraging one another, as we read earlier, all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
Hebrews 12. How do you stay awake? You surrender to the leading of the Spirit. You immerse yourself in the gospel and the daily sacrifice of yourself to God, Romans 12. And the second command pairs with this one. Keep awake, stay alert. As you move from 6 to 7, verses 6 to 7. In contrast with those who are drunk, we are sober, alert, self-controlled. And we can go back to the first illustration of the thief, right? You don't know when the thief is going to come. But let me give you a good illustration that we'll understand here in Mississippi. Now I know all the, the men in Mississippi have a plan for that night, right? That unknown night when the thief comes in, right? You got that, I'll be, I'll be as discreet as I can. You got that hidden weapon. You got that defense measure. You got your tactical plans. You got extra ammo under the mattress. I know. I know you do. You know, at least one of y'all went home after you bought that firearm and you started practicing what you would do when the thief breaks in. You pull that, quick draw, you, you, you did it. Hey, let's be honest, okay? Some of the real extreme ones probably went through drills with the wife and kids. Look, this is what happens. This is what happens when a thief comes in, all right? <laughs> this is our procedure. I've been in Mississippi long enough to know that this takes place, all right? You're on alert. You're ready. So I would ask you the question. Are you preparing for the coming of Christ like that? Are you preparing for the coming of Christ like that? Like a watchman, Christian, throughout the Bible we see that illustration, the watchman. You ought to be steady with that eye, looking to the hills, anticipating the help of the Lord on that terrible day. And those labor pains, those are not reserved for the believer. Those are not reserved for the believer. This is the wondrous truth. Maybe you Christian moms can take hold of this even more. God says, no labor pains for you in the end. If you believe on Jesus. Yes. He says, stay alert. And then thirdly, he says, put on Christ. That's my summary. Verses 8 through 10, put on Christ. Christ. You say, it doesn't say that, preacher. Well, if you know your Pauline letters, then you know he consistently writes of the new creation, Corinthians. He consistently writes of the new man, Colossians. Consistently writes of the armor of God, Ephesians. And then Christ in me, Galatians. And here to the Thessalonians, an abbreviated version, and I believe abbreviated on purpose, it says right here in verse 8, let me just read it all. Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love for the, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another, build one another up, just as you are doing. Notice here, it says... Having put on the breastplate of faith and love, 
and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. This is a preemptive step. You understand this? So, uh, believer, you're not going to be able to push pause on the return of Christ so you can get ready. When he comes, you ought to be found with faith and love as a breastplate and hope as a helmet. You remember faith, hope, and love. They make up a familiar trio, don't they? Chapter 1 and verse 3, we remember your work of faith, your labor of love, your steadfastness of hope. And then the report from Timothy, chapter 3 and verse 6, Timothy brought good news concerning your faith and love. Yet it seems that they needed further instruction in regard to their hope because it was waning And so the comfort and encouragement regarding the end of days was necessary so that they could put on Christ. We put on Christ. We clothed ourselves in the new man. We cast off the old man. We put on Christ because, verse 9, you are in Christ. Who you are determines what you do. Who you are determines what you do. And what you are comes from God, as he says, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. So whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Here, Paul refers back to the previous chapter's teachings on being alive in Christ or dead in Christ. You see, he's coming back around to that. So the question of who you are, do you understand this? The question of who you are needs to be answered before you answer the question of what you should do. The question is, are you a child of the day? The question is, are you in Christ? The question is, have you been destined for salvation? Have you been destined to escape the wrath that is to come? Has God done this for you? Don't miss the explicit gospel here. He says, it's Jesus who died for us that is on our behalf. Do you want to have the confidence of being with Christ on that day? Then surrender to him. All the confidence in the world comes by surrender to Christ. The word destined here is to set or fix something in its place. So you wonder if you're destined for eternity with Christ? Scripture says you can know that today by repenting of sin and believing, trusting in the work that Jesus did at the cross. And he turns again here to the believer in a statement in our fourth instruction. Verse 11, he says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. As we have understood throughout these couple of chapters, the commands are clear. 
What do we, what do we know about the return of Christ? What we, what we know is that he is coming again. The information we get here is not for confusion, but to comfort and encourage us. The command to upbuild here reminds us of the truth that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, a building being built up living stone by living stone upon Christ, who is the cornerstone. So, Christian believer, especially member of Cedar View Baptist Church, how have you obeyed the call to encourage one another with these words the past week? How will you build one another up this week, this, this coming week, in the coming weeks or months or years to come? How will you do this more and more? Not just when the sun is out, but people living in the light of the day of Christ. That's who we are. The day of his glorious return. We are children of the day, children of light. Let's get ready. You may say, I'm ready. Well, let's get more ready. Let's get more ready, saints. If you're not a believer, you still have the same question before you. Are you ready for that day? Are you equipped with faith in Christ? Are you equipped with being in Christ? Have you been set aside for that day of salvation, that Rescue. The day of the Lord is coming. Will you join the ranks of the watchmen, trusting Christ, living with anticipation on the day of his return? If you do not have that hope, that anticipation, there are severe, severe pains coming suddenly upon you on that day of Christ. Let's pray and respond. We ask for your help through the Spirit now as we respond to your word. We pray that those who do not know Christ would have the confidence of him. They would cast aside all these competing voices that want to offer a, a false sense of peace and security. We pray, Father, that they would find that peace in the Prince of Peace. They would find that security in the knowledge, the saving knowledge of the gospel, knowing that when all things come to an end, which we know they will assuredly come to an end, these would be found in Christ, counted among those who believe, counted among the church, the saints, those holy, made holy because of Christ. We pray, Father, you would be glorified as we respond. In Jesus' name, amen.